the whole world gone crazy! Am I the only one around here who gives a shit about the rules? Welcome to the Lowbrow Podcast. I'm Alex. Uh, Danielle will not be joining us for this episode. Um, it's going to be a quick one um, just to discuss UFC 203 and uh, CM Punk, uh, maybe at a little more length. So for this um, episode, I will um, just be discussing the main card of UFC 203, uh, but I will have a special guest, sort of. I have been wanting to have a, uh, some added guests on, on the podcast for a while now, and I'm still kind of figuring out the technological end of, of recording uh, Skype conversation. My friend William Vega, who uh, I know from Rhode Island, uh, where I no longer live, um, but uh, he watched the card, and I wanted to get his his views onto the uh, the podcast and, and kind of have something of a conversation with him. So I did... Uh, Kind of analog style, the next best thing. He just typed me up just a real quick kind of recap of his thoughts of UFC 203, uh, the main card. And uh, I thought I would just kind of uh, read them here and and kind of respond and offer my thoughts. Uh, So what I would like to do is uh, go through the main card of UFC 203 with my friend William's thoughts. I'll do that for a little bit. And then I'll close it out with a more in-depth discussion of, of the CM Punk debacle, exhibition, whatever you want to call it. For those of you who know me or, or know uh, some of the blog uh, writing that I've done over the last few years, I wrote an article when they first announced the CM Punk fight. And uh, I maybe gave Punk a little bit too much credit as far as, as uh, what his fight might look like. So I will. I'll include a link so you can you can read about it, read about it, and and see how wrong I was or or where I was wrong or what have you. So uh, I will not run from from my wrong opinions. So UFC two hundred three. Um, in short, William William says uh, this whole card seemed good on paper. What was extremely bizarre in execution, with the exception of one or two matches. And I will agree, this was a really weird um, kind of card. And that's kind of the thing with MMA in general, is there are some nights where it just gets weird as shit. And you just kind of like got to roll with it. Um, And and you remember that as much as they will try and convince you that this is a conventional sport um, and as... As you know, Dana White can show up on, on Sports Center, and they the company can be sold for four billion dollars. There's a lot of money in this, but it is ultimately it's a carnival sport. It's carny stuff, um, just like you know um, the, the WWE. You know, MMA purists they roll their eyes at this, but um, uh, they both MMA and professional wrestling come from the same place, and boxing to a certain extent. It's it's carnival stuff, um, and, and uh, we're just dealing with a, a modern. <laughs> Modern Carnival. So sometimes it gets weird. The first fight was uh, Jessica Andrade uh, versus Joanne Cal- Calderwood. Um, Will said, and I, I, I'm, I don't have a way to indicate this is his voice, so I'll just say, uh, Will says, probably the most normal fight of the night. Um, Jessica looked crisp and her power was terrifying. 
everyone in Dave and Buster's where he watched the fight. I uh, enjoyed this, inc- uh, myself included. Her takedowns were beautiful, and Joanna didn't really seem to have an answer for them. A lot of people were really impressed by Jessica. A few even suggested that she could get a title shot if she keeps it up, end quote. All right, so this was uh, Jessica moving down in weight class, and she was, in fact, terrifying. Uh, her, her shots just looked a lot more powerful. Uh, this was a fairly dominant performance uh, and may indicate that this is a, a better weight class for her. Hopefully she doesn't have to kill herself uh, to get down in weight. Um, Joanne Calderwood, I, I remember kind of from uh, watching in the the, uh, the strawweight, the women's strawweight season of The Ultimate Fighter and um, always kind of pulled for her a little bit, but this uh, uh, this was not a great performance for her. And, and it might just be a, a, a a case of her being smoked by someone who's just bigger and stronger. Um, it is enough to make you kind of question um, uh, their selection of weight classes for for the female fighters. Um, they have a straw weight division. They have a bantam weight division. Um, there's no 125. Um, there's no 145. Um, and, and as much as I don't want to see uh, the it gets too saturated with or oversaturated with uh, weight classes. Um, that's a big leap from 135 to 115. So the obvious question here, um, if Jessica is in line for a title shot, um, strawweight is it's a decent division compared to bantamweight, uh, where she or women's bantamweight, uh, where she was fighting before. There, uh, there's a much um, deeper, uh, um, greater te- depth of talent, I think at least. Um, but I don't see any reason why she couldn't. Uh, see a title shot, especially in a division where um, Joanna Yinjechik has basically cleaned out the division to this point. So uh, at, you know, at some point, you kind of need to um, start throwing some some newer faces in there um, against her. And how how she would match up with Joanna, I'd be interested to see um, if her, how well. Obviously, her it seems like her power and, and her takedown ability for sure has translated very well uh, to a lower weight class. Um, but jo- Johanna Yonjechik is a killer. So this is, a, is an intriguing fight. Um, uh, Johanna Yonjechik's obviously, um, well, not obviously if you haven't listened to the podcast much, but if you have, you know that I, I'm a big fan of Johanna Champion. I think she's one of the most, at any weight class, either gender, um, one of the most entertaining fighters in, in all of MMA. I really enjoy her fights. She's a, a savage. Uh, and especially for me, I'm, I'm a fan of, of stand-up fighting uh, and, and boxers and kickboxers. Those are my favorite people to watch in MMA, so I'm a little biased. But uh, it would be an intriguing matchup. Jimmy Rivera versus Uriah Faber. So William says... And I quote, uh, the fight was pretty decent. Rivera seemed to have uh, Faber's number with those leg kicks. Those welts on Faber had his one leg look nasty. Uh, the groin kick looked painful. Pretty much every man in the sports lounge at Dave and Buster's crossed their legs after seeing it. Me too. Uh, in regards to the eye poke, what is the official ruling on them? Do fighters get points deducted? If so, how many are deducted? Are open hand slaps even legal? A few uh, people were worried that Rivera wouldn't be able to finish the fight. Yes. Um, it's concerning that Jimmy apparently hadn't recovered vision in his eyes. Even though the fight had ended, could Faber face some sort of disciplinary action if um, Rivera's eyes don't... Uh, I'm sorry. If Rivera's eyes doesn't recover. End quote. Um, 
some good questions there. Um, and, and just to um, kind of qualify, um, William is a uh, um, kind of a diehard wrestling fan who has been tuning into MMA um, lately. So um, I'm sure this is why he had a, he had a few questions. Um, and I think it's awesome. I, I love, um, you know, uh, talking to newer fans. I, I've only personally been following uh, um, the sport for about five years now anyway. So I'm definitely no kind of an expert or anything, but, um, yeah, I think it's, I think it's great. I, I, uh, I think it's, uh, it's my favorite sport and, and I love to see people kind of getting into it and getting engaged. And, uh, it's, in, especially even a weird ass card like this, it, it's, it's part of the appeal. Um, so this fight, uh, not a great look for Uriah Faber who, um, He's definitely he's he's someone who's worth uh, worth looking at, um, especially in the context of, of MMA at the lower weight classes. He was something of a trailblazer, but his uh, I think his best days are, are behind him. Definitely check out his WEC stuff because he's um, he's had a respectable Hall of Fame worthy career, um, in my opinion. But again, this fight not a great look, um, and this also isn't the first time he's had issues with the eye pokes. Um, Coincidentally, um, at UFC 181, uh, and I'm doing this with the, with the benefit of Google, but um, there was another guy named Rivera, um, Francisco Rivera, um, and he also um, had some, some pretty serious, uh, Faber did, um, uh, issues with the eye pokes. Uh, in this case, uh, Faber's eye pokes kind of debilitated Francisco Rivera, and Rivera ended up losing the fight largely because he was poked in the eye um, and, and just through kind of shoddy officiating, um, Faber walked away with the win and, uh, the crowd that night didn't like it. Uh, so, so on this night again with the eye pokes, and this is kind of something that's, uh, I think all too common. Usually Joe Rogan will kind of go on, on the war path whenever it comes up and he'll talk about how they need to do something about it. Maybe with the gloves, uh, you'll see it a lot with, um, guys with that, with wrestling backgrounds, um, we'll kind of stick their finger out there. Not all wrestlers necessarily, but um, Johnny John Bones Jones is <laughs> notorious uh, for his eye pokes. Eye pokes are a con contentious um, topic in MMA uh, and and the governing body, um, the ABC of, of MMA's uh, unified rules. Um, is actually in the process. Um, they're working on um, some changes as far as eye pokes go. Um, so it is still very much a work on, in progress, kind of unofficially. Uh, um, the way that uh, it's supposed to go is um, the referee is supposed to have control of the fight. So after you know uh, an eye poke, hopefully, um, whether intentional or not, uh, the referee will warn the fighter who who poked the other guy in the eyes. Uh, if you do that again, I'm going to take away a point. Um, if it happens again, whether intentional or not, the referee should then deduct a point. That's how it should goes. <laughs> That's how it should go. Uh, typically, it would be one point. Uh, it would stop the fight. He would, you know, let the judges know we're taking away one point. Unfortunately. A lot of times this does not happen. Uh, there's some debate over whether a point should be taken if the eye gouge was unintentional. In my opinion, a foul is a foul, and if you want to see fewer eye pokes, you should start taking away points. Uh, open hand slaps are legal. 
but there is, and this is something they're kind of working on with the ABC, uh, how you can approach an opponent, whether you have your hands opened or closed. They're working on it. Needless to say, it is concerning um, that a fighter um, is being interviewed and um, hasn't recovered vision in their eye. Uh, I'm writing this with the benefit, you know, Will wrote this stuff kind of days ago, um, but, um, you know, since then, a little bit more has come out about um, kind of uh, the, the condition, and it is, uh, it's alarming, and it's a dangerous sport, but it's something that I feel like they could be doing more about. It's kind of unfortunate for Rivera that uh, he walks away with a win over Uriah Faber, and um, people are paying more attention to uh, eye pokes and, and kind of the freakishness, um, the freakishness of the situation, rather than the merit of his victory. Um, but just kind of this, the, the weirdness of this fight plays into kind of like the whole, like wacky kind of uh, nature of UFC 203. And it is what it is. Uh, moving on, uh, Mickey Gall versus CM Punk. Um, in other words, the the main event that they held in the middle of the card, uh, Mickey Gall versus CM Punk. To quote: uh, This is William. Quote: CM Punk got mauled. Mickey was aggressive and dominant from the get go. Uh, it was a little tough to see Punk get brutalized like that. It was. Uh, he seemed like he had no idea what he was doing. A lot of people were either happy to see Punk lose or disappointed that he didn't even throw a single punch. Technically, he did. Uh, according to several websites, CM Punk probably won't have his next fight in the UFC, which is probably for the best. Post-fight, Mickey Gall called out Sage Northcutt in his camp is reportedly interested in the fight. Does Gall stand a, um, sorry. <laughs> Does Gall stand a chance against Northcutt, or has he bitten off more than he can chew? End quote. All right, so I'll get into the um, I had some pretty seriously uh, mixed feelings about this fight, which I'll kind of discuss at length um, in the second part of the podcast. Uh, but uh, this was as decisive as you can get. I guess technically, Punk did throw a single punch. Uh, it didn't land. It looked bad, and that, that you know he got taken down um, and subsequently choked out. Um, as far as what we saw on the ground from him, he looked like a guy who has rolled a little bit. He, he looked like a guy who's practiced some jujitsu. He, he did manage to get into a half guard at, at one point, And that was kind of, unfortunately, the high point of the fight for him and pretty much what everybody expected. Um, Post-fight, uh, Mickey called out Sage Northcutt, which I thought was a brilliant move. Um, Sage Northcutt is um, not very good at, at cage fighting. He's someone who um, I think the uh, the UFC kind of saw some star potential and kind of pushed him um, to the forefront before he was he was really ready for it, uh, and um, he's. Sage has had some some pretty embarrassing uh, performances. Nothing as embarrassing as Punk, uh, but it's a fight that Gall could absolutely win. Um, but then again, you know what have we seen from Gall? I'd say that they seem it's a fight that makes sense. Um, and um, both Mickey Gall and Sage Northcutt, under normal circumstances, probably have no business being um, as famous, at least in the MMA world, as they are. 
Um, but uh, Gall, good for him, man. He's taken advantage of, of the opportunity that he has, especially when you look at his payout for the event when compared to Punk, um, which was low, which was very, very low. Um, but th- these guys uh, on the lower end of things, they really don't make a lot of money, and they kind of uh, need to take advantage of every opportunity um, that they can. And um, maybe fewer F-bombs. Gall's, uh, his promo game... Um, was it was all right, but uh, um, if you're looking at it just from a uh, like a wrestling style booking perspective, uh, he's got a good look. He came out to um, Hey Mickey, um, which I think showed a little bit of humor. And um, when you watch a lot of fights and you just see so many like generic like bad back tattoo, um, you know, guys, you, you kind of mumble through the same post fight interview. You know, I'll take anyone they put in front of me. Da, 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 and you just you come to appreciate. Um, um, anyone who, who stands out really in any way. Um, and from what I've seen from the, um, the highlights of Gaul's, um, um, other fights is uh, pretty exciting. So, um, yeah, I, I'd like to see this fight. Um, I definitely don't think that he's bitten off more than he can chew. I, I think that's uh, pretty, that's a fair matchup. And... As far as Punk um, and how difficult it was to see him um, getting torn apart, um, for me it absolutely was, but I'll, I'll get to that kind of in, in a few minutes. But I will move on to uh, Fabricio, Fabricio Verdum and Travis Brown. All right, so uh, to quote Will, holy shit, this fight was weird. First off, the beginning of the fight was incredibly entertaining. Uh, Verdum's flying sidekick to the face was completely unexpected, and for a split sec, everyone thought the fight would be over right there. My God, that would be that would be awesome if it was. Uh, but again, quote: Seriously, that was like something out of Mortal Kombat. Then the fight just took a downward spiral. Travis seemed to break his finger and tried to call a timeout. Can you even call a timeout in a fight? You can't. Uh, why did the fighter? Why did the ref tell the fighter to go back to the corner? Shouldn't they? Um, he have just tried to assess the situation and call a doctor into the ring. It doesn't help that Verdum tried to keep attacking Brown after all. Travis seemed to shrug it off after being examined and continued a fight, which honestly made a lot of a lot of people question why he would even bother to say anything at all. Travis seemed to give up after round one, and Verdum barely mounted any significant offense aside from the occasional rolling kick. Travis also threw out an open-handed slap or two, which hit Verdum in the eye. Apparently, he has a reputation of doing this. He does. Um, Given what happened to Rivera's eyes, why doesn't the UFC do something about this? Good question. Seems that there's a significant chance of fighters injuring their eyes or losing vision. A lot of people were really bored midway point of this fight. Ironically, enough of... (laughs) Yes, enough. Uh, um, the post-fight brawl was even more entertaining than the actual fight. In regards to Verdum kicking Edmund Tarvit, I just call him Edmund Targaryen because <laughs> it's funny and it's better to me than pronouncing his name. I, I hate him. I hate him. Sorry. Side, uh, again, to quote, why isn't he being disciplined for this? Assaulting a coach seems like it would warrant some sort of punishment especially since Edmund posed no threat to Verdum. I mean, the guy is a former world heavyweight champion, and he straight kicked a guy in the chest. Just seems like something you wouldn't tolerate at the professional level. End quote. So there's a lot to unpack here. Um, as far as 
um, the fight itself goes, it, it's um, the, the the sidekick at the beginning was was great. Um, uh, I really enjoyed it. Um, the fight was kind of weird and uh, infuriating at first um, because of the uh, non stoppage in the first round. And then it was just kind of boring. Um, and then once it ended, um, and thankfully the decision went the, the, the right way, um, I got to see someone I hate get kicked by, by Fabricio Verdum. And it was amazing. Um, I'll get to that in a second. So let, let's start from the top. Um, uh, William asked, can you even call a timeout in a fight? You absolutely cannot call a timeout in a fight. Um, it, we've actually seen this before. Uh, some people call it, jokingly call it the chill dog. Um, but if you call, <laughs> if you call, there is no timeout. So basically if, the guys have tried to, you know, call timeout, um, before usually because they're very hurt and they're not thinking clearly, but, um, that is a stoppage. That's, that's, um, fights over at that point. Why did the ref tell both fighters to go back to their corner? I don't know. That was horrible, horrible officiating. Shouldn't he be just tried to assess the situation or call a doctor into the ring? Yes, that's the correct thing to do. Although, um, actually, the fight should have been stopped because as soon as he Travis Brown indicated you know, timeout, um, that's he forfeited the fight. So the the fights are okay. if you're going by the rules, at that point the fight is over. If the ref somehow is going to let it keep going, yes, he would try to assess the situation, call a doctor um, into the into the octagon. Um, it doesn't help that Verdum tried to keep attacking Brown after. Uh, this, um, you'll notice at, uh, when they explain the rules, they say protect yourself at all times. Um, that means if the ref has not stopped the fight, you keep hitting the guy. <laughs> Whether or not he's asking you to stop, it, it, until the referee you know, either grabs you by the shoulder or waves it off or indicates in some way that the fight is over or that you were to stop, um, your job is to continue to hit the other guy uh, in the face as hard as you can. Um, so Verdum was, was doing the right thing. He was doing what a fighter is supposed to do. It's not his job to protect Travis Brown. It's uh, the referee's job or Brown's job to um, kind of communicate that the fight is over, which it seems like he did. Um, so Travis streamed to shrug it off after being examined and continued to fight. Um, uh, Travis Brown uh, is a difficult person to like. Um, and, and for me, some of it started with, um, you know, I hate to, to delve into it because I don't know the details, but, um, uh, his ex, um, made some pretty serious domestic assault allegations towards him, put some pictures up online. Um, and again, you hate to speculate. I hate to victim shame. It's just a tough thing to get into. Um, but for me, um, I can tolerate a lot of, you know, I can, you know, my favorite fighter can, you know go chasing groupies or maybe fuck around a little bit, even if he's married, you know, I'll kind of like look the other way. Um, he could be into drugs, partying, a lot of like <laughs> questionably moral behavior. Um, if it's, if it's an athlete that I like, I'll kind of look the other way cause you know, it is what it is. Um, but, um, um, <laughs> kind of, um, there's a limit to how much someone can do outside of the, uh, uh, outside of the sport. Um, that is questionable, uh, before you kind of like, can't be a fan of them anymore. Um, uh, an example would be Floyd Mayweather who has beat 
numerous um, <laughs> spouses and girlfriends and, and, and has just handled it in like the most appalling way fat, uh, possible. Um, so yeah, it's tough. Um, so that, that, that's something, you know, for me that made me start to kind of question Travis Brown. Um, and then after seeing him, uh, him in the, uh, Matt Mitruan fight where, um, he <laughs> sticking his finger in the guy's eye, um, and, and ended up getting the win and then, and celebrating, I think a little too much. Um, he's, he's just a, he's not a very, uh, likable dude. Um, he definitely has a reputation um, for, for jamming his fingers in guys' eyes. Why the UFC doesn't do something about this, um, I don't know. A lot of this has to do with um, the fact that the UFC, um, you know, l- largely is the... Uh, much of this is because UFC is, is kind of the promotion promoting body, and it's really up to the athletic commissions who are, are, are the ones who kind of, um, you know, put the referees out there and sanction the fights. And they kind of handle the, the in-the-cage stuff, um, and uh, the UFC kind of like just will book the fights. Um, so it's not like there's, there, there's one umbrella under which all of this is kind of taken care of. Uh, so, so there's, you know, a little bit of the problem there. Um, but why doesn't the sport do something about it? I don't know. Uh, they're working on it. It's something that's very frustrating as a fan, though, uh, to see. And, yeah, the fight sucked. <laughs> Beyond that, uh, it should have been over in the first round. Um, however, post-fight, um, let me just say that I hate Edmund. <laughs> I think he's just an awful dude. Uh, he's a scumbag um, professionally. Um, and uh, I, I think he's a terrible coach. He's also Ronda Rousey's striking coach. If you listen to him between the rounds, I was really entertained by him, like almost losing his voice and sounding like he was going to break down crying, giving horrible, horrible corner advice. And I kind of hold him responsible for how bad uh, Ronda Rousey's striking game is. And, and I think he's a terrible coach. I don't, I've, I've watched the season of The Ultimate Fighter um, where he, he was... Ronda Rousey was one of the coaches, and he was very heavily featured, and um, he just seems like a shitty dude, and um, I kind of wonder if uh, Verdum not being um, punished in any way had to do with the fact that nobody likes the guy, um, and it's something that everyone kind of has wanted to see happen for, for a while, and um, yeah, it's kind of funny because I... Um, it's funny because in any other sport, like if you saw, um, you know, a linebacker for the opposing team, you know, run over and pop Bill Belichick in the mouth on the sidelines, uh, people would lose their shit. But in MMA, uh, it's a carnival world, man. It's different, whole different game and just weird shit like this happens sometimes. Um, and uh, I don't know. I thoroughly enjoyed it. I hate Edmund. It was great to see him uh, get his uh, get his comeuppance. This was kind of the real life equivalent of... Uh, if like, like an old Smoky Mountain wrestling, um, uh, 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 when the, the the baby face pulls Jim Cornette into the into the ring and, and um, you know pops him in the mouth and the crowd goes wild, that's kind of like what this was only in real life, um, and I thoroughly enjoyed it. And to wrap things up, uh, Steepy Miocic versus Alistair Overeem. Um, to quote Will, um, this was my first live Overeem fight, and it was unbelievably funny. <laughs> the fight started off well enough. Everyone was really excited for the fight, and rightfully so. Uh, so it was the main event after all. I'll end quote real quick. Um, I think CM Punk was the main event. Quote again, 
The start was really exciting since Overeem managed to knock Miocic down. I was afraid for Miocic because Overeem seemed to have the guillotine choke really locked in at first. But luckily Miocic managed to get out of it. Then Overeem started running around. A lot of people were really confused and honestly it made Overeem seem really cowardly. He didn't seem to really be positioning just flat out running from Miocic. Even Miocic seemed confused and taken aback by this tactic. Do fighters get points off for this sort of thing? Uh, Miocic managed to pin him down and start raining punches on Overeem. Uh, the knockout was really brutal. Overeem's head even bounced off the campus. Of Overeem's head even bounced off the canvas a few times. Uh, this was probably the most entertaining fight from start to finish. Yes, it was. Uh, I'm glad I stayed for the post-fight interview. The Cle Cleveland crowd is incredibly rowdy and obnoxious. I can see why they aren't well-liked. I honestly couldn't believe that Overeem claimed Miocic taps while in the guillotine choke, but in his defense, he did get knocked out five minutes before. Joe Rogan is savage for bringing up the footage of the guillotine choke in two different angles. Everyone found that funny. A uh, few people seem to think that Overeem could have won if he had just kept hitting Miocic instead of going for the choke. Do you agree? Does Overeem typically run during his fights? Uh, who is most likely to be Miocic's next opponent? End quote. I, uh, I <laughs> just reading this, I started to uh, um, laugh a little bit. Uh, the first question, um, do fighters get points off for, um, for running? Um, uh, typically, no. Um, I guess we could, you could kind of debate uh, whether he, not, he was actively running or if he was resetting position. I kind of saw it more as, um, as, as resetting position, um, kind of similar to what Conor McGregor did in the second fight versus Nate Diaz. Uh, it's something that's not necessarily a crowd pleaser. Um, I've seen Alexander Gustafson do it as well, and it looks a lot like a guy running away. Um, but it, it's, uh, especially with an experienced striker, uh, kickboxer like Alistair Overeem, maybe he felt he was more beneficial or is more beneficial for him to be at range. Um, so yeah, I, I think it's, it's, it's fair game. I didn't see it as uh, um, avoiding a fight. But it's an unpopular, uh, it's an unpopular tactic. Um, the knockout was indeed very brutal. Um, I thought this was a very, this was an entertaining fight. Overeem, to me, like, he's, I don't know, he, He's not like an unlikable guy, but he just seems like kind of a douchebag. And he is absolutely the kind of guy who would just claim that the other guy tapped. Um, so I thoroughly enjoyed Joe Rogan calling him out on it. I think Joe Rogan, he's he's even come out um, in, in, you know, uh, the week or so since UFC 203 and said that he felt bad about that interview. Um, but he is absolutely that guy. If you, if you tell a bold-faced lie, um, he's going to call you out on it, especially if he's got a microphone and you're in front of people. So, um, there was no tap, needless to say. Um, a lot of people seem to think that Overeem could have won if he just kept hitting Miocic instead of going for the choke. Um, honestly, it's tough for me to say. I, um, it went down the way it went down uh, in the moment. Overeem kind of um, thought the, the guillotine choke was the way to do it. it looked for a second like he had it in pretty tight. So, um, I mean, that's, that's why they had the fight. And, um... You know, it went the way it went. Um, I was pulling for Miocic. Um, I, I, I think he he seems pretty uh, promising as far as, as marketable heavyweights go. And uh, just watching the um, the UFC embedded videos leading up to it, he, he seems like he's got, you know, 
you know, decent personality uh, and um, kind of someone who you can get behind um, as far as who's next. Uh, the, the UFC heavyweight division is um, such like a, a, a weird kind of coin flip of a division, and it kind of always has been. Cain uh, Velasquez, please. That would be my answer. I think um, Stipe and Cain uh, Velasquez would be a great fight. And um, if Cain can stay healthy, I, I, that's what I'd like to see. So that's it for um, um, UFC 203. Um, now a little bit about CM Punk. My initial thoughts um, were that I was really glad it was over. Uh, I um, um, you, CM Punk is someone who I am a fan of, uh, and it was it was kind of tough to see my boy get uh, taken out like that. Um, you know, I'm, I'm largely an MMA fan these days, but uh, I uh, you know since since I was like really 10 years old, um, I was really into uh, uh, the wrestling business. Um, I grew up on Hulk Hogan, Ultimate Warrior, all the way through Stone Cold Steve Austin, and now to uh, you know Daniel Bryan, and it's something that um, you know I've I've gone years. Um, without watching any wrestling, but even when WrestleMania comes around, you know, even if I haven't watched it all year, I'm interested to see who's on the card. So I've kind of had this off and on uh, relationship with that business. And uh, CM Punk is one of those characters uh, and one of those guys who kind of like drew me into. Uh, uh, I had not been watching for a while um, before his uh, his big main event push, and it kind of like drew me in, and I started paying attention um, for the better part of like a, you know a couple years. Um, and he's, uh, just a very likable dude, very charismatic. Um, and as far as, you know, um, he reminds me, I think a lot of like a more of a modern Brett, uh, Brett, the Hitman heart in terms of just everything he does is just so solid. His matches are great. Um, his, his promos are, are, are great, better than, better than Bret Hart's, I think. Um, so I'm a fan of punk and, uh, I thought it was really ballsy that he, uh, he decided to take this chance, and uh, things didn't work out so great for him uh, until we saw the payouts and saw that he made half a million dollars. And then, uh, you know, maybe uh, maybe things worked out okay for him. Um, I think the best post uh, post UFC two hundred three article that I've read was written by Connor Rebush, and I will put a link to it uh, in the description of this podcast. Um, but it basically said, you know, people need to kind of get off their high horse about CM Punk. Um, I, I feel like a lot of, kind of like you said, uh, or kind of like William said, the um, a lot of people were really happy to see him lose. A lot of people were disappointed, but a lot of people were thrilled. I think a lot of that comes from um, there are a lot of MMA fans who like to kind of thumb their noses um, at pro wrestling. And um, I mean, if you're if you like UFC, if you like MMA, and you're not really into um, if wrestling isn't your thing, that's fine. Um, but I, I, some people kind of seem like they need to uh, kind of prove uh, um, that they're the superior uh, fan of, of you know, half-naked men fighting in cages <laughs> because what they watch is real. I mean, if that's your thing, whatever. But um, uh, a lot of people were acting as though CM Punk losing validated them. <laughs> they were taking it, like, weirdly personally that... that that this guy uh, who was a celebrity could get into the UFC and and how unfair it was and all this that and the other. Um, whereas if you if you really have been following the sport for the last couple of years, you can see how like oversaturated the sport is and how many opportunities there are. They they run how many? There was a card. Um, I'm recording this on the 18th. There was a card last night, just full of fights, um, full of guys who have. If you really watch them, some of these guys have no business being. Uh, uh, televised uh, on the UFC 
and, and un, you know, they've put in their dues in the gym. Um, but as far as, uh, you know, drawing eyeballs and putting asses in seats, they, they don't have the kind of pop that a CM Punk does. So get off your high horse. Um, I, th- I think it's a great article. I'll put the link up. As far as should they do this again, I, I hope not. <laughs> I kind of just um, it was an uh, it was it was tough to watch, um, and, and I think just uh, realistically, I think we could draw um, a comparison between CM Punk's appeal and that of the late Kimbo Slice. And if you look at um, just kind of the trajectory uh, of Kimbo Slice um, and his high-profile MMA fights, uh, he would always pop a rating. But um, it was uh, uh, diminishing returns kind of every time that Kimbo was put in the cage um, that his next fight would draw just a little bit less. And if that's going through like his UFC days um, all the way down to his last, um, you know, a couple appearances for Bellator um, – and uh, I think you'd see a similar thing from CM Punk. I, and, um, you know, Dave Meltzer um, over the last week has kind of reported on the tremendous amount of buys that he added uh, to UFC 203. But you're not going to see anywhere near that um, if you book him again. And um, I don't want to see him in the UFC again. Uh, I'd love to see him in Bellator. <laughs> I'd love to see him in, in one of these smaller promotions. Um, kind of like my, my, um, my line right after was, there's a time and a place for everything, and it's called Bellator. Um, so yeah, um, and, and, uh, I'd be totally fine with, with Punk continuing, uh, to fight. Um, I will now make reference to my own article, um, called, um, CM Punk in the UFC. Why not? Um, I wrote it shortly after they announced, um, um, that Punk would be fighting in the UFC. Uh, in hindsight, I would rename it (laughs) CM Punk in the UFC. Here's why not. But... Uh, it, it is what it is. I think uh, um, at the time I did think that they were going to um, match him up. It would be more of a Kimbo Slice Dada 5000 kind of deal where they would find someone um, who was more his match. Maybe they thought they did that with Mickey Gall, but it seemed like they kind of fed him to the Lions, um, really protecting the business. <laughs> and, and that's kind of why it's, uh, um, I feel like it was a very pro wrestling move of the UFC to kind of like throw, um, throw punk in there, uh, with a guy who could very clearly beat the shit out of him. Um, and, uh, it's what they would have done, you know, back in the day, um, when, when pro wrestling, um, was still protected and, uh, it was not common, although it was, I think it's really always been common knowledge, but the, the, the boys in the business, um, would not never admit publicly, uh, that the outcomes were predetermined. It was all very protected and they had their own kind of secret language. Um, and if, if a guy, you know, kind of came in off the streets and got in the ring with somebody, um, they'd make an example of him and beat the shit out of him just to, to protect the business. Um, and, and, uh, that's what, uh, that's what the UFC did. They protected MMA. Uh, they wanted to show that, uh, it's no joke. You can't just, you know, train for a little bit and get in there. Um, so I, I feel like in a lot of ways they made an example of CM Punk, um, which I felt like, you know, a little conflicted about because I think that, uh, um, <laughs> it was partly Dana White's idea to bring him in in the first place. But I digress. Um, I, I, um. I may have underestimated, um, I guess, how what it takes to be a, a professional MMA fighter. I thought that maybe uh, 
uh, Punk's athletic ability uh, and his toughness uh, would translate in, in a way that it clearly did not. Um, although he did, you know, he made it through a camp, um, which a lot of people didn't think he'd make it through, and, and he did manage to get in there. He had some serious injuries on the way. Um, but, um, yeah, all in all, um, I don't want to see this again. Uh, you know, good for him for making a half a mil, and I hope he continues to fight. I could see him um, eventually, and this is something I said in the article, and it's something I still stand behind. I think that he will win a professional MMA fight. Uh, before he hangs it up. Um, I think it's totally reasonable to expect that with a little bit more time and, and um, experience, um, he may be able to have a, you know, a professional record of like one and three or something like that. Like maybe he loses a few more. Um, I, unless his body completely gives out on him, I don't see him hanging it up until he gets, uh, he gets a win. Um, and it seems like he wants to keep fighting. Just please not like not that publicly. <laughs> so that's it. Just a uh, hopefully quick, once I edit it down, um, a podcast on UFC 203. Thank you to my um, contributor, U- um, contributor, William Vega. Before I close out, I'd like to just give a quick, I guess, comic recommendation. Um, a friend of the show um, who's uh, written a few articles when, when this was... Uh, a podcast and a blog. Uh, we've since kind of like um, let the blog go by the wayside, but um, he, he wrote some articles and I'd love to have him on the podcast at some point. But my buddy Adam um, is uh, doing some art for a comic called The Great Divide, um, which is available through Dynamite. So it should be available like at whatever your local comic book store is. If they don't have it, ask for it. It's a post-apocalyptic story and it's pretty awesome. Uh, the first issue is available right now, and um, you should definitely check it out. So go to your local comic book store and ask for The Great Divide. So that's it for this episode. Um, follow us on Twitter at Lowbrow Podcast, and thank you very much for listening.